When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Terra Nova. Welcome to the Terranova podcast. I am so excited for our episode today. We have a very special guest, our first guest. His name is Ryan J. Kemp. And today we're going to be discussing the topic of regeneration, which is going to be a theme that will be woven throughout the Terranova podcast and community. And so I'm really looking forward to speaking with Ryan and hearing his perspective on regeneration and how he's been able to cultivate a regenerative life himself and how he's also helping to inspire leaders to build regenerative lives and regenerative work. Before we go ahead and kick it off, I wanted to provide us with just a quick definition or a quick explanation of of what we mean when we're talking about regeneration. And so this comes from one of uh, the great teachers of regeneration, Paul Hawken. He actually recently came out with a book called Regeneration, Ending the Climate Crisis in One Generation. And so I'm going to go ahead and just share some words from Paul, and then we're going to dive into our conversation with Ryan. Regeneration means putting life at the center of every action and decision. To address and reverse the climate crisis requires connection and reciprocity. It calls for moving out of our comfort zones to find a depth of courage we may never have known. It doesn't mean being right in a way that makes others wrong. It means listening intently and respectfully stitching together the broken strands that separate us from life and one another. It means neither hope nor despair. It is action that is courageous and fearless. We have created an astonishing moment of truth. The climate crisis is not a science problem. It's a human problem. The ultimate power to change the world does not reside in technologies. It relies in our reverence, respect, and compassion for ourselves, for all people, and for all life. Thank you, Ryan, so much for joining us today. I'm so excited for our discussion. And to kick us off for today, I wanted to just invite you to share a little bit about your story and your journey with regeneration. And um, for our listeners, this certainly won't be the last time that Ryan is going to be on the podcast. Um, He has a wealth of knowledge to share around this topic, which really 
encompasses life itself. So there's lots to talk about. Um, but for today, I am really looking forward to hearing Ryan's story myself and for him to share all of that with you. Yeah, thank you. It's really cool to be here. That quote, I just want to touch a little bit upon that quote. The word that came up in, in my mind is medicine. And it's an interesting predicament that we find ourselves in, especially with a lot of the inequities and extreme atrocities that are happening across the planet, within the environment, with other beings, four-legged, two-legged, and then the human species as well. But the quote for me brought up, how can we see global warming as medicine for the healing of the way that humans function on the planet? And I think that that's really powerful if we can actually step into that place to look at what we're doing in such a way that on an, like on an individual level, we can recognize that maybe one of our patterns is harming our partner and our relationship. How do we look into how the planet, which is another one of our bodies that we're connected with, is responding in a way that can show us that one of the patterns and habits uh, many of the habits that we have is actually creating a situation that is not going to be livable for us or our other relations. So that was kind of a thought that bubbled up as you shared that. Yeah, shared I, that I love that so much. And I'm, I'm so happy that you started with that because that regeneration and framing the climate crisis is not only an opportunity to heal our world, but to heal ourselves. I think is a message that needs to be shared more because what I've been observing in you know the friends and the the circles that I have um, that I have walked through in my life is that sustainability and climate action always seems to be something that everybody knows we have to do, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of like immediate benefit. To doing those things, at least in the the narrative that's being pushed in the media, and really part of my mission and why I'm here and why I'm so excited to be connected with you, is making this whole thing more personal, and really looking at it, like you said, as an opportunity to heal ourselves. And we, I think, we all know. As a human species, we're, we're really hurting right now. We're really suffering. Mm -hmm. And I think the pandemic certainly highlighted the fact that, um, you know, when somebody else suffers, we suffer. That was something that, I, of course, I had, I had understood through studying yoga. But during the pandemic, that's what I really started to see is that people were waking up to the fact that our suffering is connected and mm -hmm. that when when another being suffers, whether that's a human being, an animal being, or Earth, who is also a living being, um, we suffer too. And so I, I am really looking forward to to hearing your perspective on how we can like look at this again as not like an existential crisis, which it is, <laughs> but also as this really exciting opportunity to almost be like. I honestly, maybe this sounds cheesy, but I honestly view this this as an opportunity to like be the superheroes that we saw when we were growing up in the mm. movies and like make this 
not only like more tangible for people and more personable personal um but showing showing people just how much there is to be gained and that those things you know because some of these these larger um you know societal changes that need to happen obviously will happen over time um, but I want to also help people focus on the small changes that they can make every single day. And once we start making those small changes and seeing the joy and all of the benefits that those things are bringing us, um, I think that's going to help kind of people start moving in the right direction and, and building momentum off of that. So, so thank you so much. Totally. Yeah, one of the things that came up is the verbiage of we have to do this. And I think one of the things that I've learned is that we get to do this. Mm-hmm. And similar to superheroes, understanding that they have a immense power, with that power comes responsibility. So it's not that they have to do something, which feels like it positions these things like as an uphill effortful battle of like ne- of necessity in a way. Um, like, oh, I have to drive to go eat dinner it's like you get to drive Mm -hmm. to go eat dinner (laughs) (laughs) you know like I I think the vernacular and the verbiage and the way that we relate to the world through our language which I mean English is really deep in the objectification and the majority of the words in the English language are actually nouns versus in a lot of traditional indigenous languages the majority of the words are verbs so there's a lot deeper of a relational aspect to the world as opposed to an objectification. And I think that the way that we view the world, if we look at word is God, if you look at this in, in spirituality and a lot of the world religions, word for, wor- thought is formed through words. So the way that we think and then project the word is what is created in reality. And this is why, and if you travel around the world, there's a lot of different cultures and why do they have different worldviews? It's because the actual words that are moving through their thoughts and where they've derived their language is creating a different reality. So how do we begin to acknowledge the power of our thought and the power of our word and begin to structure our reality that's based in a regenerative paradigm by learning through other cultures and other ways of being? that we can then begin to build in that capacity as opposed to continually utilizing our degenerative habits to form a degenerative habitat. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's a lot in there, but that's just something that came yeah. up. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would love for you to share a little bit about what you, kind of your definition of degeneration and how, and framing our systems and, and history through that lens a little bit for, for everybody. So I think the the definition that you shared with regeneration from the book was putting life at the center of every action. So I think we, a very simple way to define degeneration is extracting life from every action or or the actions that we're participating in life or creating in life are actually taking away life and that mm-hmm. could that could be on a on an individual level for example at the workplace where a lot of people may feel exhausted or are experiencing burnout or are not engaged with their work. And that would be considered pulling life out, Mm -hmm. which could be considered degenerative. The majority of our economy operates on extractive means. Uh, It didn't initially, 
which is interesting. And if you kind of track back economics to the quote unquote foundations of it in Greece, the word economics comes from oikos, which means home, and nomos, which means management. So the original understanding of economics was household management. Mm. And if you kind of pull that out macroscopically, you're looking at the house as our planet, as opposed to an actual home that we may live in with a with our blood family, for example. But now what's kind of happened throughout this transition is that we're no longer managing or caring for our home or stewarding or regenerating it. What we're doing is, I think, first of all, forgetting that it's a gift, that life is a gift, because ultimately, how wild is it that apples and bananas and potatoes and cauliflower just grow from the ground and they have flavor and color and birds are singing and the sun just rises every day and we can just breathe? This was all given to us. And we just continually have been with, with this current economic paradigm, which is based upon scarcity is the way that it's kind of been tweaked. Um, it's completely negating the fact that within a gift comes reciprocity and the need to care for or the ability to care for that which has been given to you and to pass that on continuously into the future, which mm -hmm. is where kind of the seventh generation understanding comes in, which we can get into later. Um, but ultimately to loop that loop this back into why or what degeneration is, it is the it is the lack of understanding that life is a gift and therefore we continually extract from it without actually re-engaging with it and nourishing it so that it can regenerate out into the future. Mm -hmm. And that can be on an individual basis, a community basis, relationship, organizational basis. I mean, all of them can operate in a degenerative paradigm which pulls life out of the activities as opposed to reinstating it in the activity. Yeah. Uh, so that's... And I, the one yeah. word that really jumped out to me that you used was reciprocity. And the idea that, which is, is funny because it's, it's such a simple thing. Everybody kind of knows it, but it's not really something that, it's not a, a term or, or something that we, is modeled to us in our current economic system, right? Um, but the idea that we, we are able to receive these amazing gifts and with the, the energy and the life that is created from receiving these gifts, then we can give ourselves and mm -hmm. that whole, like that, that's the circle of life. Right. And, and yeah. so, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that using nature as that mirror, right? Trees and nature give unconditionally selflessly, mm -hmm. but the way that we give now is conditional to some sort of transactional exchange. And when you receive a gift, you normally don't ask for more, which I think is a whole nother aspect of gift. You're, you're very grateful for receiving the gift. And therefore, with, within the gift, you know that you have a responsibility in a way to the giver, not in the sense that you need to give them something directly back, but that you, it's, it's inherent in, in the gratitude of the gift that you pass some sort of giving on. Mm -hmm. And I think that relates more deeply to the word responsibility, which is, antithetical to the way that we view it which is like we purchase something therefore we have the rights to it therefore we can manipulate it and use it and like there's no responsibility like the, the cord is cut as soon as I exchange my money for it and I think that 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 sort of entitlement 
to these things that have been given us to gifts that have then been extracted, capitalized on and sold creates this disconnection from the, the gift itself and, mm. it, and it limits the reciprocity that continues on from that exchange. Yes. Wow. That's really powerful. Um, well, thank you so much for starting us off with this kind of <laughs> sure. level setting um, this conversation. I do want to give you an opportunity to share your story and then we can, because obviously you have a wealth of knowledge in this area and we could, we could chat forever, but I'd like to, um, I'd like to hear a little bit more about your life journey, kind of where you grew up, your, your family background, how you became interested in this way of life and this, this kind of understanding of the world. Um, and then mm. we can go ahead and, and just dive right back into regeneration. Sure. I grew up in a couple different towns north of Boston. What you could say a conventional, like middle class, upper middle class life. Uh, was always fascinated with history, mostly India, or what we called in social studies back in the day was what was it, like the Indus Valley or something. Um, ancient Egypt, all these things were just always very, very powerful for me I was I was really drawn to the world before I even knew what the world was that's something that I could that I can relate back now looking looking back on it um, but throughout my childhood I think that and I think this is actually a common theme in in the collective and I won't dive super deep into it but I think codependency and uh, I think that's very deeply ingrained in our society and that's something that I also grew up within so I think within codependency, there's a natural repression of wants and needs. So I think that as I continued through life, um, I did that without knowing that I was doing it. And that led me into playing sports, which I think was something that kind of provided me some sort of safety from being bullied or safety in the sense of like I could be part of a group. I mean, really, it's the safety of belonging. And I think that sports provided me with that in, a, in some sort of context. And I was really good. Mm -hmm. uh, I, was, I was I ended up playing Division One baseball at Northeastern University, where I went to college for about a year and a half before I quit, when I realized that I was living out a dream that was not mine. And that was spurned and catalyzed through the usages of various plant medicines is about how I actually arrived at that um, realization. But from that point, I went back into the want to travel. And I moved straight to Hong Kong when I was 20 years old and started studying Chinese philosophy. So Lao Tzu, Confucius, Mao Tzu, and a bunch of different philosophers and I simultaneously being thrust into this absolutely amazing city with people from around the world foods cultures like I was Buddhism was here um, there was just a lot of different things happening and from that point forward I just realized that the world that I had been inhabiting in my mind was far far too myopic from what was actually happening in the world and that was kind of the the crack where the light came in if i can say mm -hmm. it in that way 
that from that point forward, I've just been traveling the world for the last 11 years. Um, and up until actually landing in Texas last September, I hadn't been in one place longer than four months for 10 years. Um, so from that point of Hong Kong, I ended up moving to Spain then and finishing my degree in Valencia in Spain. And then a professor from Northeastern University from Cameroon in Central Africa gathered me and a couple other students to go and, and move to a village named Bali Nyonga, which was uh, in the northwest region, probably about five hours from the border of Nigeria up in the mountains. It was the breadbasket, quote unquote, of Cameroon. It distributed food to Nigeria, to a lot of Cameroon, to Chad, uh, to a lot of the other surrounding countries. And the goal there was to learn about farming confederations and learn about their processes and understand why 50 to 60 percent of their food was going to waste and if there was an actual way to ameliorate that process so when i was 22 i moved to cameroon and that's a lot different than europe or hong kong uh, so that was a real powerful wake-up call to how i think a large percentage of the global populace lives and i don't know the numbers offhand but i know that a large percentage of of the populace probably over a billion people live on two dollars or less a day mm -hmm. and one of the experiments that i did there and i'm lucky enough and privileged enough to do this as an experiment but i lived on two dollars a day and if you don't have clean water at least a dollar of that every single day is going to water. So now you have mm. about a dollar to eat. And that was a really, really intense, um, intense month or so where I attempted that. But really being in Cameroon, one of the things that, that started to happen, first of all, was the, the, this sort of understanding or re-perception around culture and race. Because normally, for example, growing up in Boston, like the majority of the populace was was what I'll say weird, which is Western educated, industrialized, rich, democratic. So we can group that as Western. We can group that as white. We can group that as Anglo-Saxon, whatever you want to call it, Caucasian. But when I was when I landed in Cameroon, I would be the only non-African on the buses, for example. And just that sort of perceptive shift really changes something within you because A, you start to break down whatever thoughts you had about other people because it just naturally happens through exposure. You also start to see the similarities. You also start to see that where, where were my views out of alignment? Was I judging? Was I, and it's like, as a 22 year old, just being thrust into this, it was just kind of this really rapid shaking. So within that, I started to, and why I'm talking about this is I think that this sort of traveling for me was the beginning of the deterioration of separation between my identity and my race versus people of other races mm -hmm. or cultures. Mm -hmm. And I think through that, being thrust into it and being with these farming groups where on my day to day, I'd hop on the back of an Okada, which is the pigeon word for motorcycle, and you just cruise down these mud roads to the villages and we'd be with farmers and from Western or weird standards, they are very poor. Um, and within poverty, we have this, this idea about kind of 
lack of resource or lack of there's just a, a lack the word lack comes up a lot with poverty but these people were the most generous most joyous people that i'd ever met in my entire life yeah and that just created this other breaking down or this the beginning of this deterioration of what success or value was and where this was implanted within me that I thought that value needed to correlate with the things that I've been taught that it had to correlate with like you need a big house you need a car you need money you need this cool job you need this you need that you need it's like this whole thing of need and it was like these people didn't need anything to be happy. Mm-hmm. They, they had each other. They had connection. They had community. They had some food because they were farmers. And they were, and they were joyful and generous. And the guest was God. And it was just absolutely incredible. And throughout these sort of processes, including needing to go and get water from a stream to shower or drink, which we then had to boil. Just, I, took, I took bucket showers for seven months, like out of a sandcastle bucket. Um, I, we had to kill our own animals if we, if we wanted to eat them, which was a completely new experience for me at, at this age where we go to the market and get a chicken or we go to the market and get a bag of grasshoppers. And then we have to like kill the chicken or fry up the grasshoppers. And I mean, killing the chicken for me at that age, we didn't have a good knife. We were just learning the, the process itself of how to, of how to actually do it. And it was just really, really intense. And I finally saw what chicken wings really were. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I've been eating 10, 15, 20 buffalo wings yeah. at a pot. But like I never actually understood and the, the, what it was. And when like I killed the bird, I mean, it was kind of intense. Like the, I, I, I cut the neck off. Actually, the, the head popped off in my hand. It was running around the yard. My friend had to go and tackle it. It was just a very intense first experience. But then we had to dunk it in hot water and pull the feathers off. And then you start to see like the formation of of the food that you eat and then how disconnected the process is when you just go and buy it in plastic wrap and bright lights at the grocery store. So there was kind of this initiate, it was really an initiatory experience Mm -hmm. into or out of illusion of a lot of different things that I had been conditioned into. And then that process kind of continued as I then moved to Hawaii uh, to the, the west side of Oahu, uh, on this isle, uh, the town called Waianae. And I lived on an artist village with a, a Sri Lankan sadhu named Surya Kumar, who is an amazing artist. And, and there were just really mystical, magical people on that property who, who also initiated me into a state of continuation of the questioning of what I believed reality to be. And I think that when we talk about regeneration, one of the first things that we need to understand is that the value system and the ways that we've been taught to think and to be in the world contribute to a degenerative system. Mm-hmm. So I think that one of the first processes, and I think Adya Shanti may have shared this quote, but enlightenment is a demolition process. Uh, so actually, to re-enter into states where life can be at the center of every action, the first thing that you need to do is to deconstruct or decouple what you believe reality to be versus what it is. And for me, the majority of my travels throughout that time, definitely for the first four to five years, were just completely shattering everything that I thought was Mm -hmm. real. Um, 
and showing me that there was a lot more potentiality in the unknown than there was in the known. And I think if we can sit in that, in that sort of potentiality, and I mean, quantum physics goes into this, right? It's that 99.9% of, of space is empty space. Nassim Haramim talks about how that 99.9% is actually potential energy. Mm. And that when we actually can sit in the emptiness or the unknown, that is unlimited potential energy. So how do we actually cultivate these spaces where there's enough space to touch our potential? Uh, so this, these are just kind of some of the things that I've, I've begun to learn and to and deconstruction was a really big part of that. But I'll just say about that much for now, unless you want me to keep, yeah, keep no, diving in because there's fantastic. a lot to and, talk about. Um, thank you so much for sharing your story and that there's so much um, in that Cameroon experience that I resonate with um, very deeply. I spoke about in my um, in my second episode, just sharing a little bit about my story, my experience um, traveling to Kenya and Tanzania when I was in high school, mm. and um, a kind of similar experience of just receiving so much love and hospitality from people who, from Western standards, had absolutely nothing. And that, that experience was what made me realize we we are all connected and we are all part of this you know global human family and I felt a very deep connection to to the continent in general and and just this kind of underlying understanding that like these people they they know some of the secrets of the universe <laughs> because they they didn't have any of the things that we thought you know that we needed in order to um, live like a happy safe life but um, they were living with 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 joy and love without it and um, that that memory and that experience was was something that has driven me to you know where where I am now. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's there's one quote that pops up in my mind from uh, Swami Satchitananda. He wrote one of the translations of the Patanjali Yoga Sutras, and he was interviewed at one point, and he's like, you want to know how far you are from God? If you have this many possessions, 100 possessions, you're 100 paces away from God. <laughs> you have two possessions, you're two paces away from God. Mm -hmm. And really, that feels like the distraction and the f and the desire to fill and to consume ultimately and do all of these things is actually pulling us away mm -hmm. from the state of interdependence because we go so dependent upon things to fulfill us and really the state of interdependence is freedom uh, because within interdependence is your own independence um, but when we, when we continually rely on things to fulfill us, I think it actually pulls us further away from joy. And I think the joy ultimately, or celebration, is the state of life. Mm -hmm. um, so when we're talking about regeneration again, right? It's like putting life at the center of every action. Life doesn't seek out things to fulfill itself. It just lives. It just lives. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't need anything to fulfill its own worth mm -hmm. it's just in constant celebration of the gift of the ability to live 
Yes, I love so I love this so much, and it's something that I have started to come. I've realized over the last um, the last year in particular. I love what you were talking about with deconstruction because. I think when we talk about regeneration and stability and, and climate action, um, a lot of us think, oh, okay, great, another thing I have to do. When in reality, what it is, is is returning back to, like you said, literally deconstructing and tossing out all of these um, you know, inherited ideas and patterns and possessions and, and things like that to get back to what is true to your core, to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the th- something that continues to come up over and over again is, is just that we, have, as humans, have, have really, really overcomplicated this life thing. And that um, the, the answers to the problems that we face are profoundly simple, profoundly simple. And I know that within all of us, there is this desire to live a simpler life. Like we're all so exhausted, so burnt out. It just seems like as we grow older, the responsibilities and all of the things that, you know, we were involved with continue to pile on to the point where we can't breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of people are at that point right now, but they don't, they don't see cause they're still stuck in that reality and conditioned by our society that we need those things in order to be happy and successful. Um, people are at a loss for, for, for how to find that peace and, and that, connection to because that connection to life is really our connection to self to our higher self to our spirit to our soul to our um life force energy whatever you want to call it um and it's it's really i it's so important to be doing the work that you're doing to help people kind of break free of this reality and start to create their own reality. And so I'd love to hear um, your perspective. And also, I would love for you to share a bit about the work that you're doing right now, because I know you're you're helping people do just that. Um, mm. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about your your perspective of how to get people who maybe have not been involved in in climate action or or any of this kind of self realization self-discovery work like where do you where do you start Hmm. I wanted to share one thing when you when you said that people are feeling like they can't breathe I think part of this journey for me has been learning to interpret and witness synchronicity and signs and so for example if we're looking at our world from let's say beginning of 2020 until now some of the major things that have happened across the world that have been shared is the COVID pandemic, um, the, the incident with George Floyd, and there have been massive fires, like unprecedented fires across the world in the United States. And when you say that 
I can't breathe or people can't breathe, like what's actually happening here, right? Like COVID is impacting the lungs. It's impacting people's breath. George Floyd was, I mean, I can't breathe was one of the things that was highlighted there with that entire movement that was sparked. And fires are choking out the air. Um, So one of the things that I've noticed is like, how do we start to look at the ways that messages are coming through for us Mm. to witness what's actually happening here? Mm -hmm. And then from there, you can begin to decode about about how to move forward. Right. But one of the ways which I think it's interesting that you positioned exhaustion as you can't breathe. But one of the ways is that we are exhausting ourselves and we're exhausting the planet and we're at a tipping point right now about not being able to express or breathe freely. So there's something that's really happening with um, freedom. Another way to interpret this and kind of the way that I've learned through traditional Chinese medicine from the little bit that I've learned, which correlates more with my background in Ayurveda, is that the lungs are actually associated with grief. Mm. So when we're thinking about I can't breathe, what's really happening is that there's this inability or we've been trained into repressing our grief and repressing our emotion, which in turn results in a lot of anger, which in turn results in our our inability to transmute and utilize emotion as a force for change Mm -hmm. to actually transmute the grief and Martin Prechtel writes about this in one of the most amazing books that I've read recently which is called The Smell of Rain on Dust and he talks about how grief you can turn grief into praise or grief into beauty because ultimately you cannot grieve for something that you never loved Mm -hmm. so is the fact that we're actually repressing our grief and the fact that we can't breathe is it because we're preventing our own love for life and and if so why are we not able to love life wow i i love that so much and um one of my dear friends uh spoke shared these words grief is love with nowhere to go Hmm. and i'm really happy that you you brought this up because we to bring it back up to like where we're at at this moment in history is we're we're at this moment where we are experiencing a global death. We're we're experiencing death at all levels. We're experiencing the death of our planet. Yeah. We're experiencing human death on a, an extremely large scale, one of the largest scales we've we've seen in history. Um, and we're also experiencing the death of our our former lives and and what they used to look like and. Um, another thing that I'm really passionate about is helping to normalize and, and show people that, that death is a transformational process. Of course, we need to give ourselves space to grieve, but when we allow ourselves that space to grieve, that is where we're able to really alchemize this this death into rebirth, into new life, into regenerating life. Absolutely. Um, and we societally, particularly in this country, we we don't have um, a very we don't have a culture that really supports us discussing discussing our feelings, discussing our grief, um, rituals around death, which um, I'm sure that you know in your experience. 
living in and working in many other countries, um, there are a lot of um, ceremonies and, and just more more cultural support around this process. Um, but instead, we're, we, we try to run away from death. Mm-hmm. And that's really to our own detriment. And um, death is one of, just like I said, it's one of the, it's how we transform. It's how we create new life. Um, and understanding and embracing the cycles of death and rebirth at every single level on the cellular level within our bodies, you know, within our lives, with allowing ourselves to, to let go of, of patterns and emotions to create space for, for new life and new ideas and all of that to grow is, is so, so important, um. Yeah, so de- thank you for bringing yeah that up. death is a keystone of regeneration. And death, we can say, is transition. Um, death, death is just really the composting of an old process or something that is no longer useful to an ecosystem. And it turns it into, and, and this, there's certain beings that assist in this, on this precipice, which for example, we can say that mushrooms assist on this precipice and vultures or other scavengers assist on this precipice. Mushrooms is one I really love to go into because I think yeah. that mushrooms decompose death or things that are no longer serving the ecosystem into new life. And I think that mushrooms, psilocybin mushrooms as well, function on that level with the human psyche. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's why they're such an interesting allies because they act as that decomposition agent for things that are no longer serving into providing the space for new growth and the nutrients to do so. So why mushrooms are so powerful on these levels is, is exactly that. And I think that if we can really understand that in order for us to truly regenerate and to grow, we, we must die and we must transition, but to not be afraid of the death, which we've been taught because we live in a deathophobic culture versus like when I was sitting on in the ghats of Varanasi in India, right? Like I go out at 8.30 in the morning and have a chai and you're down at the Manankarnika ghat where they just, they've been holding a fire there for two, 3,000 years. The fires never went out and people are just burning bodies right there. And you just, people sip chai and they talk and they, you're like witnessing the burning mm-hmm. of bodies on these ghats. Mm-hmm. And like death is right there in your face. There's people being carried down the streets um, in like homemade stretchers and it's just it's it's right there in your face and I think that that understanding and that that acceptance of death as an as a necessary part of life is something that when we have deathophobia uh, as we do which is which can be seen in the way that we try to prevent our our aging with all of these sort of like plastic surgery and Botox things with our obsession with with youth, with the fact that we th- push our elderly people into like nursing homes and and just kind of separate this multi-generationality, trying to like worship the youth or worship being young or worship essentially the, f- the farther away that we are from death. I think to really feel into these things, there will naturally be a grieving process. And, and the way that I see it now, and Elizabeth Kubler-Ross writes about this in her book on death and dying, there's five different stages of grief. And I witness these stages being acted out right now in according with global warming and in, acor- and in according with the fact, like you said, human beings are, are in a place now where there is an understanding of the transition that's necessary, but 
a fear and an inertia mm-hmm. that exists on that on that transitionary point where there's this assumption and it's very interesting where the assumption arises from but there's an assumption that the unknown or post transition or post death will be worse than now like it's really a lack of trust mm-hmm. and I don't want to dive too deep into where maybe this yeah. this lack of trust stems from, but I think that, yeah, transmuting grief and using grief and death as an agent for change and being able to feel our emotions, like men are taught to repress their emotions, right? Rub some dirt on it. Don't cry. Crying, you're a pussy if you cry. First of all, pussy means like power, right? So <laughs> it's an interesting thing. But And women, I think, are taught to really like be polite, and to like not stir up the pot right mm-hmm. and there's this whole rewilding movement that people are are taking in the sense of like not repressing their emotions like becoming a little bit more outspoken and free to express and all these sort of things and rewilding is like a synonym for regeneration mm-hmm. because rewilding really is creating the conditions for the wilderness or the wild state to thrive Mm-hmm. So what is the wild state within all of ourselves? But what is actually the wild state of nature? And are they different? And the more that we domesticate and urbanize, isn't that naturally the process that we will go through as well within our own self? Is the urbanization and domestication of our own wild soul? So in this, in this way, it's everything are, the, are these mirrors. And I think to, to use death as a, nav, as a navigation tool that uh, is really powerful. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's it's not only a lack of trust, but it's it's a lack of a disconnection from that cycle, right? Which is part of it's a symptom of living in a degenerative society for so long. But because, of course, there is you know some trust and surrender to Earth and the universe and everything that governs life here on Earth. Um, but it's also the thing that I am so, so fascinated about, um, is observing patterns. I really feel like that's, that's something that has helped me develop that trust is being able to, to observe the patterns of life. And I think that's part of the reason why people have a hard time trusting these things and are, are, instead kind of stuck in the past, stuck in this old world and this old way of doing things because there's an inability to see things from that higher perspective. And when you're able to see things from those higher that higher perspective, you understand that this is this is just a part of life. This is a part of being here on earth. Um and so I think I would I would love to hear from you kind of some some suggestions you might have for our listeners on how to start to to develop that trust and also understand these these natural cycles of of life here on earth on a more personal level Mm because i think and and kind of going into your work as well Mm -hmm. talking about how of course we want to make this all the all these changes and and take this action to create um, a regenerative world Mm -hmm. but that that really starts within and that's something um, that i am super passionate about is is i think reconnecting to ourself to our higher self to our soul to whatever you want to call it 
is is really the first step in in understanding you know why you came here to earth is mm. is super important especially like if if you're alive listening to this podcast right now um you chose to be here at this like really wild time in history and uh, kind of going back to what i was saying about you know us having the opportunity to be superheroes um I, I truly believe that, that our souls signed up for this this life and this time. And I talked about this a little bit in my last episode, but the way I kind of see where we're at right now is we're, we're in this messy middle where this old world, we're starting to see this old world die and, and decompose. And that's causing a lot of, of grief and overwhelm and people are really lost. Um, but what I hope to do is help people keep that perspective, that higher level perspective of we're just we're just in the middle of this right now. And so instead of focusing so much on this this global death, which I think is certainly important to acknowledge and grieve, um, but we can also start to put our focus on the the sprouts and the things that are starting to to grow, this new world, this new way of doing things. Um, that is starting to emerge, this regenerative future that is starting to emerge mm -hmm. and and really helping guide people through that process, um, I think is is really important. So um, but again, in order to to kind of take steps to move towards this regenerative future rather than focusing on what you're doing, we need to focus on on who we're being and and who we who we came here to be. Um, and so I'd love to hear a little bit from you about, you know, how, how people who, you know, might be listening to this and, and they, they haven't embarked on that journey yet. Um, some, some advice you might, you might have to share. Yeah, absolutely. That was really well said. So to kind of go into this, I'll go into some of the, the work that I now do, uh, one of the things that that I that I am just actually embarking on and am launching in January is a course called the Regenerative Changemaker Academy. And what this course does is essentially exactly what you just said, which is how do we how do we first assess? So in in, in yoga, it's one of the paths of yoga. There's four paths, traditional paths. There's karma yoga. There's bhakti yoga. There's ash raja yoga, which is ashtanga. And then there's um, jnana yoga. And jnana is, means insight or wisdom. It's also called jnana marga or jnana marga. And what that's about is this self-inquiry process that Sri Ramana Maharshi was one of the, one, one of the, he's one of my teachers in this regard. And it's essentially looking at who are you? And, I, and we can link that up with why are you here? Or what is your purpose? And I think if you can really delve into this process and begin to answer, like, who am I? Am I Ryan? Well, yes, but no. Am I a male? Yes, but no. And this is where kind of the non-binary sort of movement into gender equality comes in, is I think this is where it's leading to, is like, who are we really? Mm -hmm. um, but starting with this process of this macroscopic view of why am I here, right? A question that's extremely important, but almost dismissed in our world as woo-woo. Um, I think, uh, so starting with this process, we, we can begin to see what we aren't. And in, in a Sanskrit, it's called neti neti. 
It's like not this, not that. So through this, we can start to understand by taking an inventory. And this is what the course allows us to do is that we start to take an inventory of what the values and the things that we have been taught are. Uh, and from this point, we can witness where some of them are degenerative and where some of them are just not serving us in general. And then we essentially start a navigation through nature and through other anthropocentric systems of the traditional yogic science, Ayurveda, looking at grief, um, looking at traditional guidelines of interbeing, intertwining some of the teachings and potentially bringing in guests from some of my mentors from around the world. But how do we actually begin to, so the, the course is aimed really at A, teaching us a way to see the world in a way that is interconnected and in a way that we can witness where there are certain things that are degenerative and where there's opportunities to in integrate things that are regenerative. Like you said, this regenerative future, we can call it the ancient future because really mm -hmm. it's nothing that isn't already here. And one of my favorite terms that they use in Ayurveda when they talk about Danvantri, who is the man who actually, he was, he was said to have recollected the knowledge of Ayurveda. And I think that word for me is really potent because I think that's really what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. All we're doing is recollecting yes. knowledge and wisdom and intelligence or information, which is in a specific formation, which is that's a frequency or a hertz or a dimension, whatever you want to call, whatever the formation is that we want to call information. We're recollecting that and utilizing this framework that we have now with advanced tools and technology and other things to now begin to integrate this this ancient information and intelligence that's embedded in all of our cells and in nature and in consciousness. And we're using that now to actually put it into practice in our day-to-day -day life. So the course kind of leads us through a way where it provides us new, a new lens to witness and see the world in an interconnected fashion. It also provides us with sonder or really deep empathy into how we can utilize this this different lens to act in a way that honors that lens of interconnectivity so how do we actually begin to move beyond polarization and connect in this deep place where we're not trying to be right or wrong as as the the passage you read earlier is about it doesn't actually matter i mean ramdas says do you want to be right or do you want to be free mm. And ultimately, this polarizing factor is a lack of empathy, and it's a lack of understanding the interconnected ground that we all stand on. And the third part of the course is actually the skillfulness to do this, because once you actually develop a new way to witness the world and you develop enhanced and flex those muscles of empathy, the next thing that you have to do is develop the skillfulness around how to enact this in the world. So that's what the course does. And th this is this is one of the things that I'm doing. And this this course actually is looking to funnel people who are interested in this movement into the potentiality to collaborate with my consulting company, which is named mm -hmm. Pueo Consulting. Pueo is the Hawaiian word for owl. Uh, it's the owl is a, is a symbol and a being that's been following me for many years at this point now. And it, it resembles to me guardianship. It resembles wisdom. It resembles holistic ways of viewing as its head almost twists 360 degrees. So Pueo's role is essentially to align businesses with nature. And through the program, which people will learn this certain way of seeing and then enacting that in the world, they have the ability to collaborate with Pueo. And the work that Pueo does is work with, with businesses specifically around 
the entire process um, from materiality analysis and visioning and strategy into the application of these things all the way down the line to enact harmonious um, organizational practices into the world. Uh, so those are those are two of the things that I'm currently doing, both of which feed onto one another. One is qualitative, one is quantitative. We can mm-hmm. call that left and right brain. We can call that masculine, feminine. There's a lot of different ways to call these things. Uh, but really, I think one of the main things that I've learned is that, and Paul Hawken also talks about this, is that acronyms and metrics are not motivating factors. Like they're mm-hmm. not actually going to change us. So with a strictly quantitative or a strictly scientific approach to things unless you're a true scientist true scientists are full of wonder but the way that we interpret scientific data places us into a strictly intellectualized conceptual realm caught in the mind and this journey is a utilization of the mind not as the master but as of the servant so really it's the connection of the quantitative or the mind with the qualitative or the heart and reorienting the guidance so that the heart itself is the is the master and the mind becomes a servant to build the world of interconnection and love that is centered in the heart. Uh, and that's kind of the journey that, if I could look at it from a deeper point of view, that's what we're on. It's the longest journey that ev- any of us will ever take is from the mind to the heart. Mm-hmm. It's about 12 inches. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a long journey. Uh, but I think we're all on it and there's really... There's really nothing else to do. There's nowhere else to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're here, and how are we gonna how are we gonna work together mm-hmm. uh, and live together, not only with human beings, mm-hmm. but with the planet. Um, so that's that's some of the work that I've been doing. Yeah, I loved. Uh, I'm I'm really excited to see um, what comes out of this Regenerative Changemakers Academy. I am very interested in, in all of the, the work that you've, you've done to compile this really valuable and I think really important wisdom to share with people. Um, but one thing that, that stood out to me that you mentioned was, was ancient, ancient future. And I'd love to dive into that a little bit more uh, because I think when we think about the future, there is, of course, this like enthralling, exciting element to it, but there's there's also this fear of the unknown. And the more that I have learned about regeneration, the more I have come to really understand it as returning to a way of being and existing on this planet that that people have the way people have lived for for thousands and thousands of years um, I think we frequently forget just how long humans have been on this planet <laughs> we we only have you know the last few thousand years really recorded in in written history but there is so much wisdom um, that we have cultivated during our time here on earth that has been lost or um, has intentionally been, um, you know, terminated in, t- in, the, in the case of indigenous, many indigenous cultures around the world, um, as well as a lot of these ancient wisdom traditions as well, right? They, um, a lot of these teachings were intentionally um, destroyed and, and hidden from, th- from the rest of society. And I think our 
generation is starting to return to this ancient wisdom and and understand, you know, in a sense, like we we have been here before in some sense. Of course, we've never been exactly where we are right now. Everything is changing. And so, you know, this this moment will only exist once. But um, I'd love for you to speak a little bit more about finding comfort and and wisdom in the fact that we we already have everything that we need to get to where we want to go and I think that is something that is again not been shared in the in the narrative that has been kind of governing climate change over the last couple decades um and again, why I think Paul's new book is is so important because he really very clearly states that this is no, this isn't, it's not a science problem. It's not a technology problem. The All of the technology in the world is not going to get us out of it. It's It starts with us. It starts with every single human being. And rediscovering, reconnecting with, with our own life and in order to reconnect with with life around us and and earth so i'd I'd love to hear just your your thoughts on that yeah so kind of what what you touched upon is that a lot of these more natural traditional which we can call indigenous cultures which are directly in relation with nature and built their entire life and, and life way with nature in harmony with it. These these people, I mean, I, I think one of the issues is the way that we our education system positions this, right? It's like when I was growing up, we, we you learn about indigenous people like they're a museum. Like we, when in Massachusetts, we'd go to this place called Plymouth Plantation, which was like where the first people landed from Europe coming to quote unquote the new world right like there's this entire positioning that like frames indigenous culture as a relic versus a living breathing worldview and life way and deep interconnected understanding with the planet so the entire way that we're framing it for educational systems and this is starting to change now with a lot of people who are sharing this very valuable information and the fact that this is not accurate it is starting to change but for for example like like you've been in Texas for a while. Do you know where the word Texas comes from? I do not. So there's an indigenous Caddo word. The Caddo people lived in and around the the now Houston area, and the word in Caddo is Texas, and Texas is roughly translated to friendship. Mm. And Texas changed when the Spanish came in, and they heard Texas. And then that evolved to Texas, right? So like one of the first things that we can actually start to do is to reorient ourselves into what the land is that we're on. Mm -hmm. And that's not only by understanding conceptually who the traditional people of this land were, who taught themselves based on observational science of nature, which is why they were so interconnected with it. They knew all the native they knew all of the plants. They weren't even called native plants, right? It's like there's just the, there was the plants of the area. There was the birds, the animals, the migrations. I mean, even when I was up in in, in Alaska, I was actually it was in, in the Yukon. I was talking to 
a man up there. Um, I don't believe he was Hlingit. I think he moved from a different part of Canada. I think it was uh, Ashinabe. But he was telling me that they actually had different family names for the caribou so that they would they knew exactly which caribou were migrating at what time of the year and they were broken down into families similar to how they would have families and they actually would make sure that when they were hunting the caribou they would know which specific family they were hunting from to enable the caribou to regenerate themselves in such a way where they were never harming the herds Mm -hmm. and like that level of awareness like right now I think that we don't even and care and care exactly yeah I mean like that's not it's just nowhere even present right it's like I I don't I don't know if this is for sure this might be a generality but I would say that the most people might not know what a tomato plant looks like yeah but they eat it on their burgers all the time Mm -hmm. Uh, so I think part of this journey like you're saying this ancient future is how do you reorient yourself to place how do you build an awareness of place starting with understanding whose land you're occupying, uh, attempting to relearn the information that they knew, and then start to like familiarize yourself with this place. Because how can you refamiliarize yourself with you if you're not refamiliarized with the place? Mm-hmm. And the place externally is the earth. It's not really external, but we view it in that capacity. But our bodies are, is an also way to begin to do this, right? How are we reorienting ourselves with our bodies? Yeah. So I think that this is part of the beginning of the ancient future is how do you actually start to build these bridges in time, which we're not going to get into time necessarily <laughs> right now. But Another episode. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like ancient and future, they're really just terms. Mm-hmm. Um, how do it's 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 really aligning yourself with the non-linearity, which is what we can call seasonal or what we can call cyclical. Um, how do we how do we realign ourselves with that and utilize the the wisdom that is inherent in nature to begin to position ourselves in a way that can act as a node of harmony within it? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's part of this, and a very integral part of this ancient future is a humility. Uh, allowing ourselves to see that maybe we've fucked up Um, and maybe the way that we treated a lot of people and continually treat people in our day-to-day lives is not correct and to begin to listen to people who have developed a deep deep wisdom relational wisdom with the planet and allow them to speak Mm-hmm. and allow them not only to speak but to integrate that knowledge into a way that and I don't know if it can plug in directly with the extractive system which is something that's very interesting right it's like there have to be changes in the way that we function mm-hmm. like for example our, our obsession with return on investment is a very interesting one and I've started to restructure that phrase instead of ROI return on investment maybe it can be reverence of interconnection Mm. or responsibility of impact. Mm. And I think there's this really interesting thing about how can we start to alter the way that businesses operate by taking into consideration a natural wisdom that is far older than the business environment and economic ecosystem that's been cultivated over the last couple thousand years. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of, part of that um, 
is allowing people who who have a deeper understanding to come to the forefront and having the humility to be a child again yeah and to enter into what the buddhists call beginner's mind mm-hmm. and it's that's a state of innocence which is achieved not through naivete but through a state of such deep acceptance of the unknown as god that you live in complete awe and wonder and reverence and respect mm-hmm. and I think that that's it's a good first step. Absolutely. Oh wow. So so much profound wisdom and and what you just shared. The one thing I wanted to to highlight from that is so you talked about humility and coming to terms with how many of our actions both you know, globally as a species and and individually have contributed to this degeneration. Um, and I think this is really important because self-acceptance is, is a key, a key component of this and accepting that even though we maybe didn't, haven't acted up until now in a way we, we understand, you know, how important this how urgent the the climate crisis is and we how do i say this i guess what i'm really trying to say is that we need to create what i'm i'm looking to do is to create space for us to to kind of collectively grieve the lives that we've lived up until now and and create space for us to to share, you know, what what didn't work and and how we got here. We can't we can't move into this regenerative future, into this ancient future until really reparations have been made. We've really dove deep into how we got here because that's where we find the wisdom, right? Is in learning lessons from the the actions that we've taken in the past and and how it got us to where we are now which which we know is um you know not where we want to be for the future and not a sustainable future for for our children um but really coming to terms with and accepting um what we have done and like you said turning our our attention and our our respect to to those who have been stewards of this planet um, even while we have, um, you know, been in this global s- degenerative system. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think in, in general, just like we were talking about before, we don't have a lot of space, um, in, in our culture to grieve. Um, I also feel like our culture doesn't create very much space for us to, to really make mistakes and to, to encourage people to to act, I think so many people are are immobilized and um, stagnant because they are afraid to just try something and do something for fear of it being the wrong thing. Yeah. Um, the prison of perfection, right? Which I mean is one of the biggest issues with grieving, right? Is and for example, like we we all get in arguments with our significant others 
one of the most difficult things seemingly to do is to admit that you're wrong in mm-hmm. the argument. Yeah. It might take 30 minutes. It might take two days yeah. for you to like really be like, ah, oh, yeah, that was me. I reacted, um, you know, but like that's that that's the first step is like of of entering into the gift is forgiveness of mm-hmm. yourself for taking the gift for granted. Mm-hmm. And I think that that accountability, that responsibility to admit that you're wrong is extremely difficult because of the prison of perfection. Mm. And to admit that you were wrong. For some reason, it's kind of like when you're in elementary school and you raise your hand and the teacher's like two plus two. You're like, oh. And it's like five. And everyone's like, ha ha. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Ryan's dumb. <laughs> like whatever they said, right? Like there's this there's this fear yeah. of like being wrong. Mm-hmm. Because we view we view wrong as the opposite of right, as opposed to an opportunity to learn and to mm-hmm. change in a more harmonious way. And if we can actually shift out of this prison of perfection, then I think through that, like through that accountability of understanding that learning and evolution if you even look at evolution it's like things have have died off right things have changed it's like if they didn't function as a part of the ecosystem that contributed to it it just ceased to exist right like can we do that with the way that we're living mm-hmm. yeah and i love i love that you brought up this word because this is something else um that i've thought about a lot and and kind of where we're at in in human evolution right now and what we're what we're being called to who we're being called to be and what we're being called to do um and really thinking of bringing an awareness and more of a consciousness to our evolution because whether we're aware of it or not we are we are constantly evolving we are constantly changing and do you do you like where like personally like let's make this super personal for you do you do you like how you're evolving right now and if not maybe that's an opportunity for you to pause and and get quiet and and listen within and and think about these things that are no longer serving you um and bringing just like i think it's super important to bring more of an awareness to to how you're evolving and changing as a as an individual because again there's i think some people are stuck in this in this mindset where um we think that we're we're just staying the same you know we think that okay i'm going to keep keep the same job same partner same friends everything's same it feels safe it feels good um, but that's that's not really reality. I mean, we're every every single thing in our life is is constantly changing, um, and and I like to view that as as not something that needs to be scary, but as an opportunity. So every single moment, if something comes up that that you don't like, you have the opportunity to let that thing die to create space for you to evolve and and cultivate this this new energy or or work or relationship or whatever it is into your life and that's bringing you you know closer to your true self and and you know why you're here um and overall it's going to bring you more joy um and that's and that's ceremony Mm -hmm. 
ceremony is the sacred container to essentially evolve and to change and to shed what's no longer serving you and to enter into the deeper parts of who you truly are mm. and part of part of this this if i can even call it a mission about the work that i'm doing is how do we how do we live our life in that ceremonial context how do we build businesses as ceremony how do we do our corporate organizational shadow work if you will <laughs> and live in ceremony and ceremony is reverence and ceremony is humility and praise and grief and all of it it's all of it and accepting all of it and embracing all of it and expressing all of it and that's where we're at it's like life is ceremony yes well, that's one of the f main things you learn if if you experience plant medicine right it's like oh here was the ceremony here's the medicine now go live the ceremony yeah your life is the integration mm -hmm. of the wisdom mm -hmm. i love that so much and i'm really happy you brought up the word ceremony because that is a that is something that i have started to cultivate and create create ceremonies around everything in my life and real because I've really been on this quest to figure out like how I can create a life with the most vitality and joy that's really I'm on a mission to create the best possible life I can live and a, a, a life that supports my my physical emotional psychological spiritual vitality and and using something um a simple container like like creating ceremony setting ceremony in your everyday life i think is such a profound way to reconnect with with self while doing mm -hmm. and creating creating a sacredness to life really is what I, I, I view setting ceremony about is, is just in whatever you're doing, whether it's, it's, it could be washing the dishes, yeah, eating a quesadilla. It could, it could be anything. Um, and, and I will say, you know, it took me a while to get here. I, I, I had listened to, I've been listening to some, some yoga thing and people talking about, you know, oh, well you can, you can be practicing, you know, being no matter what you're doing and and that took me a while to really <laughs> to really sit with so really the reason that i wanted to to reconnect to this idea of of ceremony and and daily ritual is is that that is the way that we start to really bringing it back to regeneration how we start to regenerate life within us is by returning to to these these daily practices these daily rituals and and really making making our lives a, a ceremony and bringing that that sacredness to everything we're doing whether that's you know washing the dishes or having a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with a friend um i for many years i you know i i started practicing yoga um and would practice meditation afterwards and um i really felt myself continuing to kind of hit a block um, because I saw that the only place that, you know, personal or spiritual transformation was going to happen was, was at the shala or on, on my yoga mat. Um, but when I started to, 
to try to bring this this sacredness and these daily practices and rituals into everything that I was doing, not just my meditation or my yoga practice, that's when everything really started to shift for me. And I started to really view that life life is a gift. Um, and so I'd love for you to just share your, your perspective on that and how you've um, connected to your daily practices, your rituals, how you set ceremony in your own life. And mm any ideas um, or suggestions that you might have for our listeners who are who are starting to to cultivate that yeah it's beautiful if we embrace life as ceremony then we start to live into yoga which is really means union right or at least that's how it's roughly translated into english what that means is the meditation on your mat can be the beginning but how do you live your life in a meditative way? What's the goal of meditation? Expanded awareness. So how do you actually live your life in a way that's expanding your awareness off of the mat? And one of the, one of the ways that this kind of awakened within me is actually when I was at uh, a monastery in Nepal in a town maybe 25 minutes north of Kathmandu. Was it north, south? I don't know on the map. But basically, every morning at 4.45, we would go into the stupa and we would start prostrating to Gautama Buddha. And after a while, you begin to realize that Gautama was the man and Buddha is the state. Kind of how Mary is the woman, Magdalene was the state. Mm. Jesus was the man, Christ is the state. Mm. So we're really started to prostrate to ourselves and to our highest potential as the ability to reach Buddhahood. So the entire process of this externalization back into the internalization, which is what we're talking about with meditating or what we're talking about with ceremony, it's the merging of these two places into the fact that your life, you don't have to actually do anything to bring the sacredness to it, right? You are sacred. Mm-hmm. You don't have to look for your purpose. You are your purpose. So to merge these states of being and to enter into these states of yoga, it's it's where I've, I've realized that ultimately regeneration or sustainability is spirituality. Mm-hmm. There's no difference between the two. And to actually live in that way where you can cultivate these states of awareness, which one of them is stillness and presence, and, and really being able to be in, in stillness is one of the prerequisites to presence. So looking to establish these sort of rituals in, in your day-to-day life where if you're feeling overwhelmed, you learn to self-regulate by going outside and sitting near a tree or breathing five times or beginning to recognize that you are your own captor and your own source of liberation mm-hmm. simultaneously. You begin to witness that you have the tools and the skills if you want them, they're already within you. You begin to just utilize them in a way that allows yourself to live in a state of, of energy, of harmony, of regeneration, of acceptance of change, of thriving in the unknown, of all of these things that we're talking about. And your entire life becomes the meditation. Your entire mm-hmm. life becomes the ceremony. Your entire life is yoga. And the journey of yoga is similar to regeneration, putting life at the center of every action, right? Mm -hmm. So what is blocking life from flowing through us at its utmost? Mm -hmm. 
And yoga is the journey of extricating yourself from the things that are blocking the true connection between you and life. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately we're not different. The difference is an illusion. And the entire point of yoga is to, and Shiva calls this in with his trishul and his destruction, right? It's to shred the veils of illusion that separate us from consciousness, from God, from life, which there are many veils of illusion, but none of them are actually real. Mm-hmm. Um, so establishing these sort of rituals in our life allow us to remember that the things that we think are separating us from who we are becoming are all actually all illusion because mm-hmm. we already are everything that we are. We're just taking the garments off. We're em- embracing the transition uh, into who we truly are. Surrendering to self. Exactly, surrendering. Yeah. And that's something that has... The reason I share I share the idea of surrendering to self because I think the idea of surrendering to the unknown is really scary for people. Um, we we need to do that, and it's honestly hubris to think that you know we know everything anyways. Um, but what I've been able to find an incredible amount of strength and solace in is is really just reconnecting to self and. And like you said, taking off all of those layers that are in between me and my true self, in between me and why I came here. And I can I can just share from my, my personal experience when we start to take off these layers and live in alignment with, with who we truly are, that is where our power lies. And we need everybody to be reconnecting with their their true self and their power in order to bring us into this this new era. Um, and it's it's such a it's such a wonderful journey. It's it's a journey that will bring you so much joy and meaning in life. Um, and so I, I really appreciate you you coming here and sharing your story so much, Ryan. Um, you you have so much wisdom. You're a keeper of so much wisdom, and I um, I know that our listeners benefited so much from this conversation today. Um, I really encourage everybody to go check out Ryan's website and check out the Regenerative Changemakers Academy. Um, if there's any final words you want to say on that, Ryan, I'll, I'll go ahead and pass it over to you. Um, anything else you wanted to share? The last thing that was just bubbling up is how you're saying ultimately there's so much joy to be uncovered from when we truly allow ourselves to express who we are. And this is the definition of harmony. Hmm. And it relates back right in directly into nature, right? Because a harmony is essentially this orchestral coalescing of various different instruments playing exactly the the tone of music that is meant to come out of their vessels and i think that for like a bird does not a sparrow does not try to be an albatross but within their without within their individualized selves they've expanded the harmony and they recognize that there is no harmony within the separation of the individual because really what we're here to do is expand the individual into the collective and when we do that that is the harmony that we're seeking if we allow ourselves to express so i think that ultimately 
regeneration and, and weaving all these things in and the work and the Regenerative Changemaker Academy and Pueo and everything we're talking about, it is life itself. And we, we call it regeneration, but really what this journey is, is a journey to remember and recollect the knowledge that nature has imbued within us of how to live in harmony and how to live in our fullest expression in order to create more life. And I think that this is what I'm looking to share or what's look, being looking to share through me based on my experience. And I really am happy that we met and I could be featured here and share whatever was coming through. So I appreciate yes. that and I appreciate all the listeners. And yeah, the website you can check out is www.ryanjkemp.com. And that's where you'll find the Regenerative Changemaker Academy and then... Uh, Pueo.consulting, P-U-E-O, is the actual business consulting group if you're interested in having your organization uh, deeper its its pathway into purpose and alignment with nature. So um, thank you again. Beautiful. Yeah, I look forward to more of these. Yes, thank you so much, Ryan. And also just for, for the Austin community, people who are tuning in, from Austin, Ryan and I are planning on doing a live podcast recording in January and hosting an event around it. So if you're looking to get plugged into the regenerative community here in Austin, we would love to see you and meet you in person. Um, so just be on the lookout for details around that event, which we're really looking forward to. You can check out more information and, and sign up to, to get updates on those events at my website, sarahbelpedio.com. We'll link my website um, as well as the, the Instagram, Tara Nova Pod, Tara underscore Nova underscore pod on Instagram. Um, and we'll also link Ryan's websites as well so you can all get connected with him. Thank you so much for tuning in today for this really, really important conversation. I know it, it really means the world to, to me and Ryan that you were able to to share this conversation with us. And so I, I ask that if this, if this conversation resonated with you, to, for you to share it with your friends, your family, your community, um, it really is going to take all of us to build this, this ancient future, to build Terra Nova. And so I know we're super excited and we're looking forward to getting plugged in with all of you um, to make it happen. Thank you so much and we'll see y'all next time. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electric acid. 
Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An Electric Cast production. See you there. Oh, 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 o